It's time for Confessions of a Serial Salesman. Author, expert sales trainer, and serial entrepreneur Steve Noodleberg wants to help you change your life and your business using his 27 roles for influencers and leaders. This is the Confessions of a Serial Salesman podcast with Steve Noodleberg. Here's Josh Cohen. And welcome to another edition of the Confessions of a Serial Salesman, the podcast based on the book, The 27 Rules for Influencers and Leaders and so on. It's available in hardcover. It's available in paperback. It's available in audiobook. And on this podcast, as we break number 60, a sixth decade, we're to 60 already, Steve. Special, man. My boy Michael's here. Yeah. For number 60. Yeah. Michael Elkins, founder at MLE Law, joining us on the 60th edition. What an honor it must be for you to realize he wanted to have 59 more people on before you. (laughs) I'm just happy to be here. You might, if you, well, you know what? He did not originally qualify to be on the, on the program. We talked like with friends. No, he's great. He's a very smart attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly very well versed in social media, which we talk yeah. about a lot. He's the a importance. content provider. Yep. Um, but he worked for a firm. And yeah. one of the things I, you know, do on the show is bring entrepreneurs on who talk about how they do, what they do, when they did it, what the challenge is. Mm-hmm. And the guy took the plunge. You decided <laughs> to do it for yourself. I decided to do it for myself. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a th- common theme here, obviously. The book, in very large part, is uh, involving your, you know, you succeeding in business and selling. But really, the foundation of it is the entrepreneurial mindset of uh, you don't need to go find your dream job. Just go create it for yourself. Dream it. Do it. Make it happen. That's, I mean, I mean that's, that's been the underlying theme of the entire we're, we're, book, without and, a doubt. And most of the guests as we go. And I think practicing law, I mean, there's a huge element of being a lawyer, but it's it's a lot of sales too. There's that hustle. Yeah. So 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 we've asked, um, you know, recent guests, and I don't remember. Uh, it started a few a few episodes ago. One one of Steve and ours guests to the podcast told us that uh, his first entrepreneurial project was creating a Monopoly uh, board game based on his hometown where he sold local businesses to be on the game board. He sold Smart. lots of sponsorships. Isn't that beautiful? I, I love like, it. Oh, my God. But then he sold like three copies of the game. But he sold the sponsorship, so he got <laughs> the money. And that's did it. And that's he the way did. he should. Do you, do you remember the first time that you, you, know, you set up shop for yourself or when you took it upon yourself to play entrepreneur? Uh, As a young, young man? Baseball cards. Baseball oh, cards. my God. Yeah. That was, was my first. I was slinging baseball cards in third grade, cards. third, fourth grade. Um, I would, you know, go through the Beckett price guide, mm-hmm. right? And I would find value. Buy low, sell high. <laughs> there you go. I'd oh, try my... to find hidden value. I mean, I made a lot of money off Roger Clemens back in Trades were big then, man. It yeah, was like, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Do, right? Roger Clemens, like the rookie card? Yeah, exactly. Was it a Red Sox rookie card? It was a Red, it was a Red Sox rookie mm-hmm. card. And mm-hmm. I had as a minor league card. Which, by the way, just so we throw it out there, <laughs> big New England guy. That's right. His podcast is great. You know, he does a lot about... The uh, New England Patriots, which I forgive him for. <laughs> Congrats, the world champion, world champion New England Patriots. Oh, oh is that the qualification? <laughs> world champion New England Patriots. Yes. From oh, a yeah. Jet fan, so I, there's no such thing in our world. Le'Veon Bell. We don't even know what that world is. Hey, it, it, things have changed. Yes. Understood. So uh, you said you're bringing the Patriots entrepreneurs. Rob Gronkowski uh, mm-hmm. announcing yesterday that he would retire, which was no surprise to those of us that paid None. attention to him during Super Bowl week, particularly opening night. But he's a guy that... Apparently, I never spent, according to him, a dollar of his NFL salary. He's lived his entire 20s, which is his entire NFL career, because he was 20 when he was drafted, based solely on endorsement, appearance, 
and those monies never actually touched one dollar of his paychecks. Which is, How's that for a business model? I mean, I think that's actually genius. You know, Gronk gets a, a bad rap, I think, as being sort of a party guy, and he's not very smart. But, one, he's been very smart with his well, money. He plays that documented. role. He plays yeah, that role. That's his brand. That is his brand. That Jethro kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but Belichick has talked about how he's the smartest guy at executing that offense. And if you know anything about sports, you know that's a really complicated offense. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think Gronk's doing a great thing with that brand. Yeah. It seems to work. It seems to sell. And that's sort of the point, right? Yeah. You know, there was a book written by uh, Damon John, and we, we were involved in, in helping promote it early on. It's called The Power of Broke. And what it teaches you is sometimes people have money make stupid decisions because they have the money. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know? And so the power of broke really is when you don't have the money or you don't have access to the money, you find a way. You have yes. to be resourceful. resourceful. You have right. to get on the hustle. Yep. You have to find and figure out ways by which and make better decisions. I agree with that completely. Yeah, it works. Completely. You know, and as an entrepreneur, you know, if someone says, okay, here's, you know, your seed money and here, go run with it. People tend to, you know, not do the right. same level of work uh-huh. than when your backup is up against the wall and you do it without the, the luxury of money. All right, Michael. So a, a theme here always on this podcast is is the why and not yeah. the place where you go and swim in the afternoon, <laughs> you know, and not the place that the village people That's sang about good, right. that had Christian groups dancing along to having no idea that was a place where men were meeting. He's on fire today, to boy. Well, I, just, I love the irony of the fact that, you know, the village people were singing about the YMCA. Yes. It's fun to stay at the, it's fun to play at the, and they weren't going there for afternoon basketball. No, no they were not. No, they weren't. Not even a little. But all these families and church groups are singing along like, yes, praise Jesus, it's about us. And like, no, 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 they're in the sauna together. We're like, in trouble. Okay, the wheels are totally so, off. So, so, so the question is, it comes down to the why. So, sure. yeah, you, you took the plunge. Absolutely. Right? You decided you're going to create your own law firm. Yeah. What was the reason you decided, you know what, I'm going to go do this solo? Well, I think there's four main reasons. One was focusing on that which you can control, which I think is a huge thing both in business and in your personal life. And, look, when you work for someone else, you're giving up some control. You may Without not want to. You may not like it, but you are giving up some control. And there are people that are going to be above you that have earned the right to exercise that control. And if Mm -hmm. you don't agree with their decisions, and that happened to me at my prior firm, I didn't agree with some business decisions. You could argue if they were right or they were wrong. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I just didn't agree. And if if I wanted to control those types of decisions, I wasn't going to just sit and complain. I was either going to accept what they had done or say, how do I control it on my own? So the first reason was, I want better control of my future, better control of clients, better control of client development. The second reason was disruption. Um, and I know that's a big word right now. You hear about disruption a lot, but look, the legal it, it, industry. Disruption in legal. Correct. Okay, yeah. Okay, elaborate. In what way? Yeah, the, in the, what way? the legal industry is so far behind in terms of changing, in terms of evolving with social media, with mm-hmm. marketing, yeah. with fee arrangements. I mean, you still have this antiquated billable hour model that's been around Basically, since lawyers started in the 1800s, they started billing by the hour. And in 2019, they're still billing by the hour. Something's wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So I wanted to do things differently. I wanted to be able to be virtual, which nowadays virtual doesn't equal small. Virtual equals smart. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to look at alternative fee arrangements and explore the idea of telling the lawyer's story on social media, explore branding and do some different things that frankly lawyers aren't doing. So that was the second reason. The third reason really was to speak my truth because I've podcasted a lot about entrepreneurship. I mean, Mm -hmm. Steve and I talk about it all the time when we get together. 
I, I do some angel investing in tech and some venture capital work, and I talk a lot about it, but it was kind of all BS in a way. You, you weren't living it. You got it. Mm -hmm. I was not living it. So it's nice to talk about all this risk and talk about that, but if you're not living it, how much are people really going to listen and respect you? So that was the third reason. And the fourth and final reason really was um, another another idea of control, which was controlling my own lifestyle as well. I didn't want to keep going to an office anymore. I didn't want to have to keep reporting to people anymore, and that's a sign. That Where, I mean, was, there, was there a tipping point? Not in the Malcolm Gladwell, hey, the kids <laughs> in Brooklyn are wearing hush puppies, and right. now here we go as a national fad. But was, yeah. was, was there a tipping point moment? You know, they talk about the Sunday scaries and the millennials, and if you pay attention on Instagram, it's a whole meme, the idea of Sunday night, the Sunday scaries. Yeah. Well, if you're feeling that, you're doing the wrong thing. At yeah. least you're doing it at the wrong place, or at least you're doing it with the wrong people. Yeah. Was there a drive-in in which you decided, you go, you know what? I don't want to park here anymore. Yeah. I don't want to go up to that floor anymore and have to pretend to be nice to him or to her and deal with yeah. was, Do you remember that moment? Yeah, there was a moment, but it wasn't quite like that. I actually had a great situation. I could okay. basically come and go as I pleased. I yep. was an equity shareholder, and I had a lot of freedom. So I don't, I don't want to sell it as, oh, my God, it was constricting. I'd never had the Sunday night scaries. Mm -hmm. I, I love what I do. It was great. But there was a tipping point. There were, there were some business decisions that ultimately got made, and when I attempted to take charge mm -hmm. to go the path that I thought was going to rectify what right. I thought was some poor decision-making, I was stopped dead in my tracks with the ability to do that. And it was at that moment, I was actually sitting outside my gym and I had taken a phone call where I was told basically I couldn't do something. And Before I wasn't, you went in the gym or after you came out of the gym? Before I went in. <laughs> okay, because it's kind of like going grocery shopping when you're hungry <laughs> as opposed to after yeah, you ate. Yeah. So you now are going into yeah, the workout. After. Yeah. And like pissed off. <laughs> my my coach was like waving at me like you got to get in here like we got, you know, we got to train. I was like, "Give me a minute." And I was I just wasn't getting a reason for why I couldn't do something. I asked a mm -hmm. question, you know, three or four times and I was yeah. just told, "Well, you can't do that." So I hung up the phone. I bet you had a hell of a workout, though. A hell of a workout. Oh, Great training yeah. session. <laughs> you know, what's, what's an interesting takeaway for me is we, we got introduced a couple of years ago through uh, DeRay, yep. you know, a really good friend of ours. She said, you guys need to... DeRay Ross? DeRay yeah. Ross. Yeah. Well, there's not many DeRay, so right. I had, a, That's right. so I had a, like a 30% chance. She's a good yep. friend of both of ours. She said, you guys should meet. We, we went and had a cup of coffee together, as I'm you know, prone to do, yep. and... The, the thing that I took away was that he was operating in an entrepreneurial mindset within another organization. Even right. though you weren't that yeah. true entrepreneur, you really did function as sure. if. And that's a very different place than people you who were go thinking, to work for somebody else. You were thinking as, you were functioning as, you just weren't employing as yep. because you were still connected to that mothership. I was thinking and doing and acting and trying to be disruptive and trying to do different Growing things. the business. Thinking about outside the box. But at the end of the month, I got paid. You know, someone was paying me. I had health insurance. I had I had all those and things. And you traded that for yeah. standing in line and yep. listening to people above you. And That's that, right. That is the trade-off. Absolutely. You know, and for some people, they will never cross that bridge. And that's okay. There's plenty of great presidents of companies who yep. are not entrepreneurial. But once you cross that bridge, you never go back. Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't begrudge my, my former employer either. Right. I mean, they, they earned the right to make those decisions. Of One course. of the things I don't like. Or I'm not a huge fan of is complaining for the sake of complaining. Right. I, and I was, I heard myself complaining in my head. Choose your battles. Exactly. And, and this was not a battle I could win. And if I wanted to basically do something about it, I had to go out on my own. Right. And you had brought me, you had presented an opportunity for me to speak yes. at the company retreat. That's right. Which 
even in speaking to other partners there, they said, we need to change things up. Yeah. But ultimately, things didn't change. Nothing changed. You know, and I went through it with him, and he was, like, disgusted. He was like, you know what? Everybody's there. They're all asleep. They want me yeah. to, They want to do something, but nobody does that. Those are the push. Those are the things that push you off That's right. the ledge that say, you know what? I'm willing to take a, a chance and bet on myself, well, on which yourself. is really the only. Yeah. But entrepreneurship, by its very foundation, is betting on yourself. Totally. It is saying, hey, I'm going, I've dreamt it, now I'm just going to actually have to go and do it. Well, I, and, and it's funny you said betting on yourself. When I did a LinkedIn article to announce my, my own firm, and the title of the article was Why I Left My Stable Big Firm Job and to Open My Own Firm. But you were I let, comfortable and established and could sleep good at night knowing yeah. that every two weeks there was a deposit right. in your account. And I led the article with a quote from Bill Belichick's 2000 press conference when he resigned from the Jets, and he said, I'm not, this isn't exactly what it is, but he basically says, look, Will this, will this work out or not? I mean, I don't know, but I have enough confidence in myself that I think I'll be all right. Mm -hmm. And that was the quote that I led off with. And I think that that's how I felt it, was. It, it's you know, so, so true that a lot of organizations cannot handle managing somebody who is entrepreneurial. Yeah. And, and if that becomes disruptive in and of itself. And, and there was a lot of talk about succession planning. Like for many years, I had heard that talk, like the future, the future, and you're part of the future. But when there were decisions to be made about the future, and I don't begrudge the people that made those decisions, but it was the people that are going to be gone in five years that were making decisions for the, those that would be there for the next 20. Right. And when I did that math, I just said, well, they don't, they don't want the younger people to make the decisions, and that's okay, mm -hmm. but then you got to go. I mean, make the decisions for yourself. You can't keep complaining about that. And so now you're free-falling, as Tom <laughs> Betty would say. <laughs> free-falling, <laughs> oh, which my is really what it is. I mean, there, there's no clock. There's no, yeah. you know, nobody patting you on the shoulder going, okay, time to go home. You know? No, it's not at all. It, it is forever. I would choose more, uh, if we're going to go Tom Petty, let's say uh, you belong among the wild flowers. There you go. Uh, nice. You belong somewhere you feel free. Yeah, absolutely. Because free-fall takes go every opportunity to show off, doesn't it? Well, because it... <laughs> Kenny, you're allowed to answer that. He, Steve was I'm talking to you. I'm looking at you, man. Ken <laughs> a producer. Yeah. Yep. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, well, but if you're going to go... That's a pretty good layup. If though. you're going to go Tom Petty and you say, now he's free-falling... Yeah, I'm like, well, wait a second. No, he's got a plan. Uh, let's, uh, but he's a free. He's that wildflower. You belong somewhere you okay, feel like free. That. And now, that works and now he's somewhere he feels it free. Me. There are times I've been doing it for the balance of my life. I feel like I'm free falling. <laughs> I, you know, I was on vacation this week and reori reorienting yourself after a vacation right. when you work by yourself is not the easiest thing to do. Well, no. I, got, I got another petty for you instead. Let's stay on the same album, same era. Okay. Let's say that he's learning to fly. Oh, there you go. Oh, there I like that. I like that. There you go. My is clients it, hopefully will be thinking, though, this guy should better know how to fly in a courtroom. He better not be learning how to fly well, there. I'm, I'm sure that <laughs> is So why don't you case. tell us what it is you actually do, yeah. please? So my focus is primarily labor and employment law. I spent the bulk of 17 years as a management defense lawyer, so defending employers and labor and employment disputes I've expanded that now to obviously employees, employers. I've done a bunch of startup work um, with venture capitalists and startups in the VC world because mm -hmm. uh, I do some angel investing on the side. So there's sort of a natural fit there. So and any sort of business disputes as well, um, which have been. What are some of in. the big issues that are happening yeah. in employment? Now, obviously, there's so much. There's so much new that's gone on yeah. social media, and yeah, you know, how does that affect what what you do? Well, you've got obviously the Me Too movement, which is just a huge uh, issue across the board for every employer. It's changed the landscape of allegations relating to hostile work environment mm -hmm. and what to do. In fact, you had the New York Mets involved 
I just wrote an article in the Miami Herald about this like six months ago. You know, they had two employees in a in a bathroom privately talking and maybe telling some inappropriate jokes. Long story short, someone on the other side overheard the conversation. Could hear it through the wall. Wow. Yeah, through overheard the wall. it and taped it. Taped it on their through phone. the wall, through the wow. bathroom wall. Exactly. And, and how and how does that work they, out? They taped it. They brought the tape to HR, and HR fired the two gentlemen. There is zero that, tolerance. That doesn't sound right to me. No. inside the bathroom. Yeah, I agree with you. And I wrote an article that basically said, "Look, I get that the Me Too movement movement is out there, but let's take a speeding violation in a fifty-five mile an hour zone. You got yeah. one person goes thirty-six, mm-hmm. and one person go in a thirty-five mile an hour zone. One mm-hmm. person goes thirty-six, and one person goes fifty. Mm-hmm. They both were speeding, mm-hmm. but it's not the same thing. And that's right. the same thing with harassment and any kind of allegation like that. Like, look, an off-color joke may be." something to talk to someone about it's very different than an assault well i can be offended by anything at any time i so choose yeah i mean you know it's like in the nfl they say well you know if you're looking for holding it happens on every that's right single play right, right. you know the, the problem with where you're looking and what what you want to see right yep. I'm, a, I'm a long-time radio show host sure. and it's a fm caller driven hot talk for the first 13 years and now a little more controlled fewer calls right but someone me took the responsive broadcasting initiative test twice a year so you know what's appropriate, what's not. The problem with obscenity and indecency, the FCC said, we can't really define it, we just know when it happens. (laughs) So can you imagine getting a ticket, Steve, when you get pulled over by the popo, and they go, sir, you were speeding. And you say, well, there's no speed limit. And they say, I know that, but to me it felt like you were going too fast. Yeah. How is that fair for, and how do you know? Yeah. And now we live in times of which, is that inappropriate? Mm-hmm. Is that offensive? Because on the air, I can be offensive. I just can't be indecent or obscene. Right. All right? Because your definition of uh, offensiveness varies person to person. Well, Howard Stern changed that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but still, you know, the FCC has rules on obscenity and indecency. You can be as, as offensive as you want. Correct. If yeah. your employer wants to fire you, great. FCC yeah. can't do anything about it. Right. So now you're dealing with a whole new world, a la Aladdin, of people understanding that no longer can you say those things Mention like I'm. I, I don't even own a corporate workplace. If I would feel comfortable telling someone they look like they look nice today, yeah. you can't. Sure. You, you almost well, can't. You, you should be able to, but because of these zero tolerance policies, right. which are, I think, a knee jerk reaction to what you're seeing in the media and what you're seeing on Twitter. But there's always an overreaction. That's right. But there hasn't been a correction yet. Usually, you have overreaction and then you get it correction. Swung back. Mm-hmm. It hasn't swung back yet. At least not what I'm seeing with employers. And I, the bulk of my work is with employers. And it's important for Florida employers to remember, you know, the standard in Florida for actionable sexual harassment is really high. That's the thing. Like an, an off-color comment is not actionable sexual harassment or hostile work environment. In Florida. In Florida. Right. Yeah, in the 11th Circuit. So Alabama, Georgia, Florida. Um, and so you've got these policies that are causing employers, I think, to lose really good talent. Because they're not investigating. They're not taking a moment to breathe. They're just and, saying done. Yeah, yeah, to figure out, like, is this objectively really offensive, or is this just someone who had a bad day today? And that's a problem in employment law. You, you know, as it pertains to sales, and, the, and you know, when I travel around and I'm, I'm doing these trainings and I'm talking to people, the way I used to manage my sales teams, mm-hmm. HR wouldn't have any part of that now. Right. You know, I mean, there's like, I, you know, you got to, you know, th- there's just a different mindset of what you're allowed to say to somebody 
And certainly when you talk about football, the way football coaches treat players, yeah. that that would never fly in the in the business world, you know, never. language and berating and but some people need to be managed that way. Sure. And you get the most out of them. So, you know, I don't think for me in you know, back in the day in the phone business, I don't think the people that I managed loved me, but they respected the hell out of me and they're all in great other positions now. Yeah. If that same scenario was today, it would be terrible. Look, it's such a it's such a tricky area. Very. It, it's such. A, I mean, I can tell you personally within the last year here at ESPN West Palm, I, I was approached by uh, a woman who's in marketing sales to ask me about a potential meeting or an endorsement situation. Hey, this is going to be great, and literally. The market manager physically was shoving me away, saying that that's not how this works. You're supposed to email my producer of the show. And she, and I just, I'm laughing as she's doing this because I'm thinking like this in any other normal, like corporate would be like, oh, like, like for real, she'd be in super uh, trouble. Yeah. Like enormous for physically, like restraint, like pushing me. And I'm laughing. I'm going, like, that. meanwhile, I know so many presidents, CEOs. Mm-hmm. GMs, CFOs in in South Florida, yeah, that I see how they speak to, um, and, and speak in the presence of women currently, right, and it blows my freaking mind because it's <laughs> literally Mad Men, yeah. I mean, they're All playing by nineteen sixties rules of hey, how about you, me, and her, right, or what's underneath that, and and this is current, this twenty nineteen, yeah. and these are well, you must see it all the time, all the time, and and. Let's be clear, the Me Too movement and her- sexual harassment and hostile work environment, these things happened for a reason. <laughs> I mean, I've seen some stuff that would blow your mind. You can't believe in the modern world people do this, but, you know. Where somebody really was being harassed. Oh, yeah, and it definitely right. happens, but right. the, problem we have, the problem we have now is every little single thing is causing people to freak out. And to people are looking about, to be offended, though. That's right. But that's the world we live in now. Yes. Michael, that, I mean, we live in the age of everyone's dying to be offended. Yep. So on Twitter, they can tag that person's employer and try and get him fired. <laughs> Absolutely. Someone will not like my political stance on something. Yep. And then they will tag at ESPN, at ESPN Radio, at ESPN West Palm. And say, that is this the kind of yeah. person you should employ? Fire him immediately. Yeah. And I go, hey, idiot, my opinion on my own, I'm paid and well to provide similar opinions, whether you agree or not. And I don't work for any of the people you just listed. But thanks anyway. <laughs> Have a nice day, jackass. Yeah. Bye. And I'm yeah. talking about comedians even. Yeah. Like like shock comedians. Like Robert Kelly got mad. I made fun of him on, on Twitter. And he was like trying to get me in trouble with ESPN. ESPN. I'm like, you're a dude who's made a living mocking <laughs> the appearances of others, but this is the age we live in. Yes. Everyone trying to get everybody else in trouble. Right. And and we, I see that with my employer clients where employees... It's infuriating. Are, yeah. Employees come and complain, and I tell my clients, not universally, but depending on the complaint, generally speaking, I say, look, everybody take a breath. Take a minute and let's investigate. Let's look and see what What's the heck, really happened. Yeah, like what happened here? Like, is this person just pissed off because they had a bad day? Is the person that they're complaining about someone who's got a history of this stuff? And believe me, when you start investigating, you find things out. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just did an investigation. There's always something, right? I did an investigation yesterday. I thought it was going to go one way. I sat down the uh, person being accused. And and the person opened up with some information that made my jaw drop. I said, "Okay, let me call my client." Well, there's so it always, depends. you know, there's always three sides of the story. Sure, there's his, hers, and then somewhere in that sliding scale is, right. is the actual truth. I mean, look at no one, be they male, female, Muslim, Jew, gay, straight, rich, poor, tall, short, should be made to feel uncomfortable in the workplace 
to feel subjected to different rules than others based upon yeah. those parameters. Of course. But, but I'm telling you, you guys know this. It may be 2019. We may be in the midst of the Me Too era. But women are still oh, being yeah. talked about, talked to, looked at, and made to feel a certain way that is objectified and sexualized. That is, if it was your daughter and you worked in that office, yep. you wouldn't stand for it for a second. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm curious, though, like what role, what place does comedy have in, in the workplace? Because <laughs> Do you work it, at the improv? Because uh, well, well, if so, really. then it, then it has a major role. Well, you know, but, you know, <laughs> funny is also subjective you know Absolutely. i mean it's you know right. it's not the same thing to everybody and no. what i think is funny and appropriate you might not well at what point you know and to your point it's like you know there are people who said i don't want to talk to anybody at work mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't, no matter what i say somebody could make it wrong and, so and what, the, well well i mean look it, it always is going to come down to the objective reasonable person standard right so what's somewhat objectively going to be thinking it can't just be that you are so sensitive, you employee, that mm-hmm. you've taken a, a reasonable joke and then gone off the rails with it. So in terms of but like a reasonable comedy, joke to you, there's no standard. Sure, but it's still the Supreme gotta, Court doesn't have one. It's still got to like alter the terms and conditions of employment. So like a one-off mm-hmm. joke here or there isn't going to be actionable. Now someone might complain about that. Right. And the danger with a zero tolerance policy is you get someone complaining about a one-off joke, right? And the person who made the joke gets fired, even though. Maybe it wasn't that big a deal to start Zero with. tolerance it works for a couple of things, but it should not be used across the board nope. for things that are questionable, subjectable to someone being offended. Yet there's, like if, if I punch my coworker in the face, that's a problem. That's a zero tolerance. <laughs> but if someone that's, tells me, don't that, do that. Don't do that. If someone <laughs> tells Thanks, me Steve. that you know, I was made to feel threatened today in the workplace, I was made to feel uncomfortable today. I'm not comfortable. I, f- I feel threatened because what really happened was there was a conversation where someone said, I want to take off that Friday because my friends get married the next day. Saying, you can't take it off. We need you in this meeting. Right. Well, I want to take the day off. Well, you're not. You're working. Yeah. I feel threatened. That's not reasonable. That's not reasonable. But this is where we're at. You know, what's interesting, though, like as an entrepreneur, I go into lots of other businesses and I can see stuff that makes me uncomfortable as as an entrepreneur, as a business person. I look right. at that and I go, ooh, those are red flags for me when we're looking at, in, you know, being engaged with a client. You know, people, you know, when yeah. I train salespeople, I go, you ever have a bad client? They go, oh, yeah, all the time. I go, <laughs> well, when did you know that you had a bad client? And they're like... Uh, like the first meeting you met, right? <laughs> like five minutes. I mean, People's yeah. behavior. Yeah. So, so that's where the reasonable sort of, you know, side of things. Yeah. We we all know if somebody says so. There's times that you know I've been in in, in where someone's told a joke and I'm embarrassed. Right. I'm like, ooh. Well, you and, and I, you and I were together. It was at a basketball game one time. But but, <laughs> legitimately, if you we remember, were, yes. It, it, but the company you keep. Right. Oh my God! Yes, of course. Everyone oh God, represents yes. the brand, the company with within, and you've got some clown at a Utah Jazz game yeah. being inappropriate to Russell Westbrook of the Oklahoma City Thunder. That dude was sitting in the company's that should be zero tolerance of, of their. <laughs> there you go of their automotive group. And now he's staying the reputation of that. And right. folks are like I would never buy a car from them. They employ a guy like that who talks to a player. That's the era now in which we live, in which that's yeah. real, that's substantiated. That's a huge problem, and that's a huge problem for employers because you don't know what was going on with that individual at that time, and maybe that individual should be gone. But I still try to counsel my clients before you react with a zero tolerance policy. Step back, investigate, find out what's really happening before you take action under just some policy that says we're not going to tolerate any behavior 
that is A, B, or C. Because yeah. A, B, and C is going to be malleable over, depending upon who Zero it is. tolerance might maybe should shift to 1% tolerance, meaning that, <laughs> let's be yeah. realistic, there's yeah. an area there with that. And the difference in, in criminal law yeah. and civil law between preponderance of the evidence and reasonable doubt, right? Right. So I'm, but, I'm curious about this other thing that I want to make sure we get in here. So with social media, with young people, there's this whole bullying yeah. thing that goes on. That happens at work sure. as well. So how do you, you know, manu- like, so for your business, you must be really excited because <laughs> the issues are disruptive in and of themselves. Sure. How does, how do you handle that? You know, when, yeah. you know, I tell clients you have to have a social media policy. Now. Okay. You just have to. Mm-hmm. And remember when you're dealing with private employers, with the exception of posts on, you know, on Facebook or Twitter about union organizing, the bottom line is the first amendment does not apply. I always get a kick in sports when, you know, you hear so-and-so is in trouble for speaking on whatever on Twitter and people mm-hmm. chime in with the first amendment. It yeah. doesn't apply to a yeah. private employer. He's not going to jail. He's just losing his Nike contract. That's right. That's Correct. right. First Amendment doesn't apply, but you want to make sure that you're telling your employees, look, here's our policy. Um, we don't want you talking about A, B, C, or D on social media, so don't do it. And if you've got bullying issues happening at work where, you know, coworkers are going back and forth on social media, you as an employer need to deal with that, and you need a policy that, that strongly talks about So you recommend written manuals oh, yeah. and training? Absolutely. Wow. I always recommend written policies. And you get policies. involved in that? All, all the time, okay. yeah. And well. that's one of your best defenses because if someone does file what they call a charge of discrimination with like mm-hmm. the EEOC or the, you know, the administrative agency, you want to lead your response off with attached as a copy of our handbook and here's our anti-discrimination policy. Boom, boom, boom. Done. And the con- Spell it out real clear yes. so there's no middle ground. Everything's very clear in advance. And in the context of sex harassment, you have to have it. There's a defense have available. To. If you don't have it, you could have big problems. I Testing. did not have one, and it cost, it cost yes, us. Yes, we talked about that. Yeah, it cost us. Yeah. Um, do you also laugh at people like I do when their <laughs> Twitter bio says, uh, retweets are not endorsements? <laughs> Ken, Ken and I laugh at people because we go, no jackass, literally yeah, that's exactly, that's, what, it that's exactly it's, what it is. That's exactly what it is. It's a physical manifestation <laughs> of an endorsement. You've actually said, I like this, and I'm going to put it on my feed, too. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I it just shows you that how the world has changed. All of that communication is subject to somebody's rules and regulations. and you know. Absolutely. And you've got to vet your people before you hire them. You better check their social media. I tell my clients that all the oh, time, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. you know, if their profile's open to the public, go ahead and look at it because you don't know what you're getting. Michael Elkins, founder, MLE Law. Boy, that was a quick 30 minutes. Wow. I told you we could. Yeah, that was awesome. When we get together, we could talk about all this stuff all day long. But he's also really good. Yeah. And and he's done this before. (laughs) He hosts his own. He does. I mean, he said we have nicer equipment, but, you know. Yeah, I'm going to be nicer. doing his soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I'm on. Thank you, Michael. Thank Appreciate you very much. It. Had a great time, guys. Indeed. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Really Indeed. Good. Steve, uh, we wrap it up, as we always do, with not asking what's up, but rather to tell us something good. So as you put a bow on this number 60 as a pretty little package, uh, why don't you tell us something good? So uh, there's so much good, but um, for me, I just spent the weekend with my grandson. It was his third birthday, and I can't imagine anything being better in life than being a, a grandfather Grandpa. of that thing. So I am embracing that. For those that are watching on Facebook, I'm red like a beat, but I was at Hollywood Beach with him and watching him play in the sand and do all of those kind of things. I That is the only thing I can think of that's 
you know, None better than tell that. me something good. There it is. Yeah. Time with the uh, the fam, yeah. with the grandson turning three. It was and, awesome. And getting to enjoy that time. And also, off the record, before the mics came on, you said there was a lot of drinking. So we'll just we'll throw that in yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, we are Noodleberg. Because so. that's the part that sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, the Noodleberg part. The, you know, yeah, you know it's, you're like, ah, three don't birthday that. party's okay, but there'll be, there'll be vodka. <laughs> All right, I'm in. Count me in. Yes, All indeed. Right. Uh, and you and I are going to go to Miami Open, and there will probably be drinking. Happening. Oh, without question. <laughs> we catch a little tennis. For Steve Nittleberg, Josh Cohen saying thank you for listening. We will catch you next time for number 61, hard to believe, of the Confessions of a Serial <sighs> That would be Roger Salesman, Maris, right? The podcast. There we go. The so long, everybody. Day.